It's absolutely great to have you this morning. Uh, one of the coolest things is week by week, we're kind of growing a little uh, back. I think last week we were real close to 250, which is about 50% of where we were. So uh, I think God is slowly starting to, to move in, in a powerful way. So we're going into what I think is, at least since I've been here on the West Side, probably one of the, if not the most important sermon series we've ever had. And we're going to be going through for the next 11 weeks, the book of Acts. And I can't think of a more perfect time to go through Acts than right now. With everything that we're going through, I think to see how the church during difficult times, fueled by the Holy Spirit, can do the unimaginable. And now we're going to get into that in these weeks to come. Now, here's how you can get the most out of the study. And that is, uh, we've put together, it's called the Soap Journal. And as you go out either door, you can pick one of these up free of charge. And uh, what this does over the next 11 weeks is it allows you to have your own study or you can connect with somebody else uh, through, again, the book of Acts. And uh, the SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. And Marie and I are actually going to post something on our site, on our website this week to kind of explain that. But you might want to do that. It's a great thing to do. And then also on Wednesday nights, um, uh, Marie and I have a men and women study together here, and we start off by just kind of walking through the text, and then we split into groups with men and women, and uh, we're social distanced and masked, and uh, I think we even had an ambulance here last week, so anyway, we're, we're ready. It's safe, and uh, boy, everybody's a little touchy with the COVID this morning. Okay, so, uh, but come on in Wednesday night. It's just a great opportunity, again, to just get into the Word of God, share with one another, and grow through this amazing book, the book of Acts. And the sermon theme for the entire time together is called Radical. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word radical, uh, but for me, I was in uh, youth ministry. Marie and I served in youth ministry for 20 years, and we were here at Sherwood Oaks back around 85 to 93, 94, and um, I cannot tell you how many times in the 80s I heard the word radical, if you remember. And so here's how you know you're radical in the 80s. Uh, you tried to moonwalk like uh, Michael Jackson, and trust me, it never worked out well. Uh, then there was Thriller, if you remember that, and then Miami Vice, that's when every guy thought he looked good in a leisure jacket, and they didn't, okay? Uh, women had big hair. Anybody, do we have any big-haired women here from the 80s? You don't, wow, you're proud of it. Good job, Jane. Bring some pictures, okay. Uh, if you remember the big bangs, you know, it's just kind of like the flying nun and would take them away. Um, the 80s were crazy. And here's what I remember working with uh, the students is uh, neon was the color in the 80s. Remember that? Everything was neon. So if you painted a room, well, we let our youth paint this room, and the big deal was to... Uh, splat the wall with neon whatever you want. Do you remember that? And it was just such an odd time. And to me, the 80s were bold. It's I'm here. And everything was radical. Well, we're going to go through the book of Acts, and what we're going to see is radical activity of the Holy Spirit. But it's not like the 80s at all. Uh, it isn't a fad. Matter of fact, I love this definition of radical. It's this, relating to or affecting the found fundamental nature of something. Far-reaching or thorough, it's a radical overhaul of an existing framework. That's what Jesus did. 
He took the existing framework of the world and he turned it upside down. And then when the Holy Spirit ignited the early church, they turned the world upside down and we can do the same thing. Even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of the craziness that we're living in, the church is still God's army and the church can still turn the world upside down. Do you believe that? Man, you gotta believe that with all your heart. So let's pray as we get into the book of Acts this morning. Heavenly Father, what an honor it is to stand here uh, with people that I love, people that are striving to be your church, to be your hands, to be your feet. We thank you for your love. We thank you for what you have done for each and every one of us. And we thank you for the church. And Lord, how you still love the church so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. There's a great book I highly recommend, especially with everything that's going on now, and it is the book Radical by David Platt. And just so you know, this isn't like light reading. Uh, You better be prepared if you read it. But here's what David Platt says, and I love this. He says, in a world where everything revolves around yourself, protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. Jesus says, crucify yourself. That is radical. I mean, it was radical then and it's radical now. And so as we begin this journey through the book of Acts, I think it's important to pause and to say, okay, from the moment of the resurrection until the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter one, what happened with Jesus? So here's just a few things out of the harmony of the gospels that may help you to see what Jesus did during those 40 days. He encountered two followers on the road to Emmaus. He appeared at least three times to the 11 disciples. Uh, Jesus had this memorable breakfast with seven of the disciples and an unforgettable conversation with one of those disciples, Peter. Do you remember that conversation? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That is in those 40 days. And then Jesus continued teaching about the kingdom of God and the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And then you get over in the New Testament, the 1 Corinthians 15, 6, and it says this, after that, speaking of the resurrection, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So Jesus was busy over that 40-day stretch. He met with individuals. He met with uh, the disciples. He met with at least, we know, 500 followers, which leads us to this morning. And as we approach Acts chapter 1, we need to understand this, that if you follow Jesus, Jesus was radical, and so were his followers. And guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you to know you've been called to be radical. Now, how do we know that Jesus was radical? How do we know, like we said in that definition, that he overhauled the world in the existing framework? How do we know that? Well, first of all, who wrote the book of Acts? Well, his name's Luke. And Luke, though he wasn't one of the original disciples, as a physician, followed Jesus. And it was his passion to share in the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts all about Jesus. Matter of fact, if you're uh, a freak as far as statistics, I like strange statistics. 
If you look at all of the writings of Paul, it accumulates 32,000 words. Somebody had a lot of time on their hand. But if you look at the writings of Luke, 38,000 words devoted to Jesus and the birth and the history of the early church. He was so passionate and he was so committed to share the life of Christ and the acts of the Spirit and the church that it revolutionized the world. It changed the world. That's what you're reading here when you read Acts. And that's who wrote the book of Acts. In a world that was drastically changing because of the resurrection, the world needed change. And I don't know about you, but in a world that is changing rapidly in front of us, we need Jesus. Can I have an amen? amen. Come on, you should be hopped up on coffee. You're getting free. <laughs> Absolutely, we need Jesus. Mark, I expect more. You got a Pentecostal background. Let's fire it up in the front row. Okay, <laughs> good job. All right. And I know you were hopped up on coffee. Too. So anyway, I remember, some of you will remember every specific days when you knew COVID was reaching a level you never imagined. And I can specifically remember for me, that was on March 4th. It was a Wednesday morning is when it began. Uh, we met with the campus pastors and uh, uh, we were talking about how things were really gonna change the way that we serve communion. That those that were serving communion, uh, the governor had just issued this uh, order basically that you had to have people wearing gloves and masks if you were gonna serve communion. You couldn't handle the communion. It had to be passed to you in a double cup or the disposables. And we were like, wow, this is getting crazy. Well, then that night we had a freedom study uh, at the pizza pantry. Whoop, whoop, yeah. <laughs> if you haven't had the pepperoni pizza and the breadsticks, it was pretty close to heaven. I'm just saying, you need to go there. So we were having our freedom study and on the way there, on the radio, I was listening and they announced the newsflash, the NCAA tournament, every game is going to be played without fans. I'm like, oh, this is getting weird. Communion and now no fans. And then I went in and of course now everybody's talking about how crazy it's getting and uh, talking about no fans and blah, blah, blah. You know, well maybe Indiana will play better with no fans. You know, we went all of that. But here was, here was the statement. It was a person sitting across having their breadsticks and dramatically put the breadstick down and said, can it get any crazier than this? And what is the answer? Yes, yes. In a matter of days, it's like the wheels fell off. And so my wife and I that weekend did the most spiritual thing we could think. We went to Florida. Can I have an amen? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't post any pictures and probably not going to, but when we got there, we were like, man, is this not the craziest thing we've ever seen? And now all these months later, it just seems like the world is changing all the time. So we need to step back and say with the world that is changing, is that the most important question? Is the most important question, how do we cope with the world that's changing? That's not the most important question. The most important question that all of us need to ask is, are we willing to change our worlds to follow Jesus Christ? That's the most important question. The world's gonna change, but not Jesus. So Acts, to me, clarifies what can happen if you just follow Jesus, the radical nature of Jesus. 
And if you follow Jesus, you'll know that his mission and his message were radical. All of his teachings were radical. Matter of fact, when Jesus in Matthew 28 issued the Great Commission, and he said, make disciples of all the world. We know that one, don't we? But then he tells us what to do to make the disciples. And what was it? Teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded you. In other words, I taught you some radical stuff. You got to pass that on. That's what we're all called to do. All of us are called to take this radical message and do something with it. How radical is the message of Jesus? Well, again, think about Luke. Think about the gospel book of Luke, who shared with us more of the teachings of Jesus and the parables of Jesus uh, than the other writers in the gospels. And if you want to know the heartbeat of God, all you have to do is land on Luke chapter 15. And there's these three parables, and it, it wakes us up to the radical nature of Jesus. Do you remember the first little parable? The lost coin. Uh, here's a, a woman who has lost this priceless coin. And scholars say that they used to have this beautiful headband at their wedding and there'd be 10 coins and that she had lost one of those coins. And some of you are like me. You're not going to admit it, but you lose things on a regular basis. Now, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I, I wish I had a nickel every time I've misplaced my wallet or my keys and one of the kids. You know, we all in life know that panic. And when you lose something valuable, what happens? Everything stops. You start rewinding what you did and who you can blame it on. I mean, you go through this whole series, but there's this emotional sense of urgency. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted them to experience. Emotionally, when somebody's far from God, are we radically emotionally invested in doing whatever it takes to find them? And then he talks about the lost sheep, which makes no sense. Think about that. This guy has a hundred sheep, one of them, one of them wanders away. And what does Jesus say about that shepherd? He left the 99 to go after the one. Now, folks, that is a radical response. And now everybody leaning into these teachings are thinking to themselves, this makes no sense. Jesus knew that, but it didn't end there. Then you get to the tail section of that beautiful, beautiful chapter in Luke 15, and we read about the prodigal son. There's not a parent here. If you've had teenagers, you know exactly what the pain is when your kids just make really bad decisions, how it breaks your heart, how you agonize. And if you can read the prodigal son and not see yourself in that story or think about one of your kids and what that's like when they start making better decisions or when they begin to pursue God again in their life. Something wakes up in them. It just moves you to tears. And then what's even more radical is the response of the father and the prodigal son. Remember what he did? He didn't just sit in the distance blaming his son, criticizing his son. When he saw him in the distance, he ran to his son. What's God saying? Through Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'll run to you anytime you run to me. Now, if that isn't radical in the world that we live in today, that is radical, radical grace. Wow, the message of Jesus is so radical. And the mission of Jesus. Luke 19.10 says, for the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. That's all we need to know. That's the mission of Jesus. He will do whatever it takes to find us. Even when we are running from him, he'll do whatever it takes to seek and to find us. That is radical. Matter of fact, here's three things that all of us need to consider about this mission of Jesus. That our mission is clear, to love God and to love people. We also need to consider that because that mission is difficult, the only way that we can accomplish it is to approach others the way God approaches others. In other words, you can't love God and not love people. Now, let's be honest. In the last two, three weeks, have there been moments that you haven't loved people? Anyone? How about this? Have there been moments that you frankly haven't liked people? I don't mean the ones you're living with. I mean, just in general, have you ever been annoyed recently by someone? Now, unless you're lying, yes. Yes, there have just been these times that you're just like, oh, please, you know. Now here's God through his word saying, listen, you know what's hard is to love people no matter what. And then ultimately, the objective and the mission that was the mission of Jesus, that is our mission, is to also seek and save the lost and to bring glory to God. Now, why is that so important? Well, guess what? Because any of you who have ever given your life to Jesus Christ, there was a moment in your life you didn't know Jesus and you were lost. And somebody cared for you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody shared Jesus with you. You probably don't ever, ever forget those type of people. You don't ever forget the people who invested in you, who believed in you probably when you didn't believe in yourself, how far you were maybe from God. So we should always have a heart. And here's the coolest thing is that God loves long shots. Do you know what I mean by a long shot? It's that individual you're like, just right now even, just think about who would be sitting by you right now in church that you'd be like, if they came and sat by me right now, wow. Okay, guess what? I guarantee some of you were somebody's long shot. And God showed up. And he still shows up through us. That we should have the heart of Jesus. That we would have the same mission. Which leads me to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I love this. Jesus, before he ascends, he once again emphasizes what his radical mission is for all followers. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we're going to get farther into this next week and the weeks to come about the, the role of the Holy Spirit. But let me just say this. When it says the power of the Holy Spirit, in Greek, it's that word dynamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. In other words, Jesus is saying there is this power coming, this surge. You have no idea what it's capable of doing. But let me give you a hint. You will be able to have an impact, first of all, locally, Jerusalem, regionally, in Judea, in Samaria, to people you don't even know or understand or like, you will be able to have an impact with them and even to the point you're going to the ends of the earth. Now, 
it's important to step back and say, what was the strategy of Jesus to make this happen? In his message, he also had a method. And his method is so, to be honest with you, un-American. Now, here's what I mean by that. I'm standing under the flag. You're going like, oh, here we go. Now, here's what I mean. If, if you were going to start a church and you wanted it to spread all over the world, what would be the American strategy to do that in general? You got to build a big building and then you got to figure out how you're going to fill that building. And then by the way, let's have about 73 programs for everybody coming into the building. And then when you hear the word discipleship, guess what happens? I don't have time for that. Isn't it interesting that the son of God didn't do any of that? He invested in a few. Not even the sharpest crayons in the box. We're talking seven of the disciples, very common fishermen. And yet Jesus took them and he invested in them. It's estimated he walked over 3,000 miles with those disciples. And here's what I love. At least 17 times in the Gospels, we know Jesus, it says, spoke to the masses. But 46 times it specifically says he spoke to a few. Don't you love that about Jesus? Jesus could feed 5,000, and the next day, he'd be having lunch with the tax collector. Or Jesus might feed a multitude of people and care for a multitude of people who needed to be healed. And then maybe the next day, he'd be in the home of two sisters named Mary and Martha. How did he do that? Because he knew if I really want to make the deepest impact, I have to invest in others at a deep, deep level. And here's what I love about Jesus is he loved small towns. I grew up in a small town. Uh, I've got a very special place in my heart. And Jesus, think about this, uh, grew up in Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth, the population at the time when Jesus was raised there was about 400 people. Folks, that's smaller than Salisbury. That's smaller than Spencer. I mean, just think about it. The world was changed by this little bitty community. Matter of fact, do you remember when they criticized Jesus? How could this possibly be the Savior? He's from where? Nazareth. I mean, that's like them saying, how could this possibly be so? He's from Bedford. I mean, it's like they just utter these, okay, here's Jesus from Nazareth. And yet Jesus from this very small town continued to invest in a powerful way. Let me give you, a, this is mind-numbing when I was doing some research on this, about where Jesus ministered in his public ministry. You could take a circumference uh, just north of the Sea of Galilee. There's about a 13-mile uh, circumference. That's where Jesus spent 80 to 90% of his time is in this area that was not heavily populated at all. Now, again, you think, that's an interesting method. Can Jesus change the world through, for example, the west side of town? I think he can because it's all about the hands and feet of Jesus. It's all about you. It's allowing the light of Jesus Christ to shine wherever you go. Jesus never traveled over 200 miles. Think about that. Think of the impact right in front of us. That's why I said start with Jerusalem. Make a difference where you're at. And then be open to what the Holy Spirit will do because the Holy Spirit will take you places you cannot even imagine. Matter of fact, listen to Acts chapter 1 verse 11. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking in the sky? 
This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. Sometimes the most important thing as you're reading scripture is to take the Bible, set it down, close your eyes, put yourself there. And if you put yourself there, can you imagine what that was like on that day, watching Jesus ascend through the clouds? Some scholars say that that was like an Elijah experience. Others say that it was a Shekinah experience, like there was a glory beyond comprehension. And then I love the two messengers or the angels that were there, and they're like, why do you stand here looking? Now, if you were there, wouldn't you want to go, well, because this doesn't happen every day. <laughs> this is Jesus ascending. What do you want me to do? No, I, I think... Hypothetically, I think what they're saying is, okay, you've seen him. He's, he's, been, he's in heaven now. Now, there's work to do. There's work to do. See, here's the reason why I think it's hard sometimes to read that and put ourselves there. Because in, because in essence, that is their moment of saying and feeling goodbye. Now, I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate goodbyes. Uh, some of you that are Scotch-Irish, you may know this. I didn't know that till this uh, week. It's called an Irish goodbye. Does anybody know what an Irish goodbye is? Okay, here's what it is. Uh, an Irish goodbye is if you're in a social setting, <laughs> when the opportune time comes, you slip away unannounced. Now, I got to be honest. I've done that a few times, okay? I've been to some graduations parties. You know what I'm saying. Kevin, you've been to a few. Okay, you, you go to some of these parties and you're like, God is so good. Hey, I got to, where's the restroom? And I'm out of there. You know, so you, we, let's be honest. We've all done that. That's the Irish goodbye. Because why? I, they just hate to say goodbye. So they just slip away. And I think there was part of that Irish goodbye in these disciples. Like, Jesus, you, you can't just go. I mean, we, we wanted to throw you a party. We want no, no. Jesus just ascends. And I love that. And we know that we live in a world that honestly, even though we hate goodbyes, we're kind of obsessed with goodbyes. How many of you women have seen The Notebook? Anyone? Why do you keep watching it? You already know how it ends. But it's here. My girls watch that. So I'm like, they're both going to die. Come on, get over it. You know, that doesn't ever go away. But famous, famous goodbyes in sports. Um, years ago, I remember seeing this movie, black and white movie, but... Um, it's, it's probably the most famous sports goodbye. It's Lou Gehring. He was a, an amazing New York Yankee, and he was diagnosed with, at that time, uh, ALC, and uh, he only lived a couple of years after he was diagnosed in his 30s. Matter of fact, now they've actually named it the Lou Gehring's disease. And he stood be, in front of an entirely packed stadium, and on that microphone, and you could hear it reverb, and he said, uh, I consider myself today the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Oh, my land. Even if you don't even know who Lou Gehring is, it just puts a lump in your throat. And uh, what a famous goodbye. I think about music. Uh, they actually have a website that has the, the top-rated sad goodbyes. So this is a really uplifting message right now. Uh, first one is, I Will Remember You by Sarah McLaughlin. Anybody know who that is? I will remember. Okay. 
It's a tearjerker, and if you heard that song, you probably heard it about two in the morning, and it's always a dog shelter. You know what I'm saying? It's always a three-legged dog. He's got a patch on his eye. His name's Lucky, you know, and you're like, and then you're like, like, poor Lucky. You know, you get out the credit card, and it just pulls at the heartstrings. And the number one recorded song in the 90s, globally, you know what it was? Candle in the Wind by Elton John. Why? Because he sang it at the funeral of Princess Diana. And it was a, a nation saying, how do we possibly say goodbye? How can we say goodbye? And the most powerful, they say, profound goodbye song is the dance by Garth Brooks. That people just say, I can't explain it. But the, and I've, I've seen a special with Garth Brooks, and even he says that, said, I can't explain what happens. You see, even though we dread goodbyes, it's a part of every one of our lives. Think about all the movies, powerful movies with goodbyes. E.T., you know, little lit up finger, I'd be right here, you know. And then Casablanca, even if you don't know who these guys are, uh, here's looking at you, kid. What a classic line. But you know the number one ranked goodbye in movie history? You betcha, Gone with the Wind. Rhett Butler tells Scarlett, frankly, Scarlett, you're getting on my nerves. You've probably seen that. Yeah, some of you are leaning in like, he's going to lose it. He's COVID crazy, that guy is. Okay, but no. But I want you to think about the ascension of Jesus. Seriously. Can you, can you imagine what that moment was like? And then what would have happened right after that? Here's the good news. We know exactly what happened right after that. You know who told us? Luke. He actually did it in the book of Luke. If you go to the very last chapter, Luke 24, verses 50 through 53, it tells you exactly what happened. First of all, it says they worshiped him. Man, wouldn't you have loved to have been there that day? Can you imagine that worship? Jesus ascends into heaven. And I imagine they, honestly, I think they were out of breath. I actually think they fell on their knees. I think there were others, like Peter and others, holding one another. I just can't even imagine the raw, the raw worship that took place. How long that must have lasted. And then we know exactly what they did after they worshiped. They did exactly what Jesus told them. They went to Jerusalem, filled with great joy. They may read that and go, how could they be filled with joy? Jesus just left them. Why were they filled with joy? Because he didn't leave them. It hit them all the way to Jerusalem. I have no doubt. They were like, you know, he's either going to come back or when we go, we're going to be with him. But either way, that was not goodbye. That wasn't goodbye at all because I'm going to get to spend eternity with Jesus. And you know what? I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Every day they went to the temple. You know about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about his death and his burial. Let me tell you about his resurrection. Let me tell you how he ascended and that I'm going to spend eternity with him. Don't you want to spend eternity with Jesus? Now, that's pretty radical. But that's what the church is called to do.